Welcome to the Crow's Nest, the official podcast of the USNSCC. Thank you so much for joining us. That very jazzy song that you're still hearing there and that uh, started the show was VMI Spirit. So it's the official fight song or official theme song or what have you of uh, the Virginia Military Institute. Uh, That particular rendition was recorded in 1940. Uh, you can definitely tell that it's got a 40s vibe to it, so that's real interesting. Um, not something that you expect from a uh, sort of a, a college or military institute song. Uh, so that's a very different sort of big band jazz version of it, which is interesting. In any event, uh, the reason that song was played, not just totally arbitrary, is because we have another great interview coming up with uh, Rear Admiral John Adamets. And so he is going to be interviewed by uh, one of our cadets, Chief Bay. And so let me sort of go into a little bit about who uh, Rear Admiral Adamets is, just a little bit from his bio. Um, He assumed the positions of Pacific Fleet Civil Engineer and Commander, Naval Facilities Engineering Command Pacific. It's September 2018. And again, I'm going to link to this bio into the show notes. But he is a native of Belvern in Pennsylvania, outside of Pittsburgh, my hometown, and is a 1989 graduate of the Virginia Military Institute, where he received a Bachelor of Science in Mechanical Engineering. He holds a Master of Science in Civil Engineering from Penn State, an Executive Master of Business Admin from Naval Postgraduate School, and completed the executive management program at the University of Virginia's Darden School of Business. So as uh, operational tours uh, all throughout the United States, around the world, uh, served as the Commodore of Naval Construction Group 2, the Atlantic Fleet Seabees. So what's really interesting about the interview is that we do talk a little bit about the Seabees, and we don't hear much about that particular um, side of things. And so he is going to be interviewed by Chief Bay. And um, Chief Bay was born in Baltimore and moved to Florida at 15, spent many years exploring different uh, careers in STEM, and started taking advanced courses in math and physics, such as numerical analysis and nuclear physics at Florida Institute of Technology. Really? In 2017, he joined the USNSCC, reaching the rank of Chief Petty Officer in March of 2020. Then he switched gears, looking into science careers, specifically in the military. Uh, He plans on attending the Naval Academy or to begin uh, Navy ROTC at a STEM-focused university in the Northeast United States. So... Um, it was a great interview, and so what I'm going to do is just uh, send it over that way. Uh, Chief Bay and Rear Admiral Adamets. Excellent. All right. Again, thank you so much for the opportunity to interview you, Admiral. Um, I have a lot of questions to ask you, so I just want to get started really quickly. So. The first question I want to ask is, what was your initial inspiration behind joining the Navy as an engineer? Like when you were at my age, what were you thinking about for the future? Okay, so uh, uh, if I might ask, Chief Bay, tell me how old you are, and I can help I am you 18. answer that. 
I'm 18. Okay. Sir. All right. So, um, so when I was 18, I didn't, really didn't know. I grew up in a, in a part of Western Pennsylvania uh, that was kind of in the iron belt and in, in the uh, late seventies, we had a booming steel industry in, in Southwestern Pennsylvania. And then in the eighties, uh, when I graduated high, uh, high school, uh, we had a very strong recession and we lost a lot of the nation's heavy industry to, to other parts of the country. And so, uh, there was a recession in our economy and I really didn't know what I wanted to do. Uh, uh, with my life. I had influence on my dad's side from uh, everybody was uh, either a steel worker uh, or a coal miner. And then on my mom's side, uh, they were uh, her brothers and sisters were uh, engineers. I knew that uh, what had been in the past wasn't going to be and that is everybody graduated high school and they went to work in heavy industry in the Pittsburgh area. But that wasn't an option. So I had to do something else. So I was fortunate enough to attend Virginia Military Institute and go to college where I majored in mechanical engineering. And from there, uh, I ended up entering, any, entering the Navy through the Navy ROTC program. Uh, but I had a uh, strong influence of the military. I, we grew up in an apartment above the American Legion in my small town. And my dad and mom both worked two jobs, one of which uh, they were the caretaker of the American Legion. So I had a very strong influence from my relatives and others that are previous uh, service in, in our nation's military. And that influenced my uh, desire to serve as well as, uh, you know, on my mom's side, perhaps becoming an engineer. Excellent. So just want to ask real quick. So I heard that you transitioned from a mechanical engineering to civil engineering. So what's the story behind that? I know those are two different majors, pretty similar, but different. Yeah, great, great question, um, Chief. I, I majored in mechanical engineering in undergraduate. Uh, and when I graduated, I commissioned a Navy surface warfare officer, then later transferred after three years to the Navy Civil Engineer Corps. The Navy Civil Engineer Corps accepts all engineering majors and architecture. Uh, and so uh, later on in my career, when I was able to attend graduate school through the Navy, I majored in civil engineering at, at Penn State. And I ultimately took my professional engineering license, uh, which is required for Navy Civil Engineer Corps officers uh, in civil engineering. So it was a little of both. I had one undergrad in mechanical and, and graduate in civil ultimately. I uh, chose civil. That's excellent. You also have a background in business and administration. How did that help you throughout your career? All right. So that's a great, another great question. So, so you may have already learned this through the, the Sea Cadet program, but the, the Navy gives you a lot of great opportunities to further your education. And my philosophy after serving, I think I'm coming up on 32 years now. Uh, I love what I do. Um, is that Navy will continue to give you opportunities to attend graduate school and other you know, educational opportunities. And so the Navy has funded uh, my graduate school at, at Penn State in engineering, and they also funded a uh, master's of business administration through the Naval Postgraduate School in Monterey, California. And so I believe learning is a lifetime journey, and the more I learn, the more I realize I don't know. And so during the second half of my career, I said, well, you know, it's time to learn something new. So I applied for the program and was accepted and uh, I learned a lot about business as well. 
That's great. So would you say, would you argue that learning with the Navy is much better than learning in the civilian life? Um, I don't know if it's better. I would just offer that uh, there are certainly many opportunities uh, in the Navy uh, to, to continue learning through formal programs, on-the-job training, experiential learning, uh, plenty of opportunities. And uh, it's, uh, they, uh, it's just part of, part of the way the Navy cares for uh, its sailors um, and to continue to develop them. At a very early age in the Navy, very early, early in your career, whether either enlisted or officer, uh, you'll be put in leadership situations. So you, you learn your technical job skills and functional uh, technical expertise, as well as leadership and management. Leadership and management. Speaking of leadership and management, I have actually quite a few questions about leadership since you're in such a high position. So just the first question, um, what is your leadership style? How do you lead people? Well, I don't know if it's one uh, one style in every case. I think that what, what I would offer to you, Chief Bay, is that uh, a, a few founding foundational principles would, would probably most apply. And that is, one, know your mission, um, know your people, learn to know them as people, uh, learn how to care for them uh, and develop them, ensure they have meaningful, purposeful work, uh, and then, and then kind of get out of the way. Uh, your job is to support them. Their success and brilliant success is yours. And so, you know, I think that's one principle that, that uh, uh, you know, I learned a hard work ethic growing up. Um, the Navy core values of honor, courage, and commitment uh, have carried me a long way. Make decisions on behalf of your organization, not on behalf of yourself. Care for your people and they, they will care for you and the organization. I would say I'm a very engaged leader. Um, uh, and so I put my heart and soul into my job. I, in certain situations, it's coaching. Other situations, it can be more direct. Um, and in other situations, it's more collaborative. If I had to sum it all up in a, in a textbook, kind of uh, maybe an academic environment, uh, I would say transformational, situational, engaged uh, leadership. Uh, leadership is not... Uh, for the faint of heart, especially in the military, especially when you're making decisions that potentially have people's lives at stake. Right. It's a very difficult position to be on. So um, do you mind if you share some of the challenges that you have faced and uh, while you're leading and how did you overcome them? Yeah. So, um, yeah, let's see. So in the military, we have similar challenges to perhaps the, the private sector. Um, and there's, there's always human resource type issues. Uh, some people perform very well. Some people have challenges. If everybody were a, what we would call a 5-0 sailor, uh, then you wouldn't really need good leadership because everybody would just uh, perform amazingly well and wouldn't have any problems. Well, the fact of the matter is we all have problems in life. And nobody sends their sons and daughters to join the military uh, to fail. So it's my job uh, to ensure that they succeed brilliantly. So helping them through their personal challenges, helping develop them, uh, ensuring that they have the tools and resources to, need to do their job are all part of it. 
financial constraints are part of, uh, of just like in any uh, organization. You, you don't always have the amount of people or resources that you need to get things done. So you have to be creative and innovative in, in solving problems. Um, th those are those are two two big ones that that uh, that we face every single day. You know, we have a we you know, when you look at the, the global stage today, we're in what we call great power competition now with China and Russia. And let's talk about China for a moment. Uh, a rapidly growing military in terms of capacity, uh, as well as uh, technologically advanced. And so near-peer competitor, and, and our desire for the world is what we believe in, in American values, it, freedom and dignity for all, equal opportunity for all countries to prosper. We would like another 70, 80 years of peace in the Indo-Pacific region and in a rules-based international order. And those things, it's not the Chinese people so much that, that our, our government and our you know, Americans uh, are, I guess, uh, incongruent with, it's the Chinese Communist Party and how they use debt diplomacy and other gray war tactics uh, to get after their desires. So, that makes sense. So there's a lot of international challenges that we're facing um, right now. So why is it so important for the next generation like us um, to join the military with a science degree or engineering degree in the STEM area? Yeah, so technology, I think someone told me uh, yesterday, I heard it again, uh, that technology doubles every uh, you know nine months or something like that. And so when you think about the, the, the technology and weapon systems we have, well, it's just a hundred years ago, 50 years ago, even 20 years ago, and how fast things are changing. You know, cyber war and asymmetric warfare and things like that are at the, at the leading edge, at, uh, drone technology and unmanned systems. You know, our nation uh, relies on a Navy to be forward deployed, forward, forward present to ensure the, the things that we value in a, in a free and open democratic society and economy to keep the sea lanes open so that we can have international trade. Uh, and and uh, being forward present and, and having that uh, presence across the weather in the Middle East or the Pacific or the North Atlantic or wherever, um, it's important that we give our sailors the most technically logically advanced systems as we can to ensure they're able to do their mission and return home safely to their loved ones. And so right now we have a few technological edges, uh, but they're razor thin and growing uh, more narrow every single day. And so when you think about less than 1% uh, of our nation's population has ever been uh, served or affiliated with the military, it's very important to, to have these kinds of engagements and have uh, sailors like yourself in the Sea Cadet program and, and, and your leaders to inspire, encourage others to, to get involved in this so that we can continue our way of life for future generations. That's excellent. Yeah, that's an excellent, that's an excellent advice for the future generation. Um, now I want to switch topics a little bit and ask you some, some of these kind of questions. Um, so the military is known to have intuitions and quick action. So we do things very quickly. Um, but engineers are known to carefully think about the problems and have very calculated decisions. So when you're in the military as an engineer, 
how do you balance those two elements together, the quick thinking, but also having those calculated decisions? So, <laughs> I don't know who helped you with these questions, Chief Bay, but uh, if you did them on your own, I would just like to tell you, uh, amazing, I'm sure as a team effort, um, uh, but uh, really great question. So, my current job, I, I wear two hats, is the, the commander of Naval Facilities Engineering Command Pacific, which is leading uh, efforts for all the Navy and Marine Corps and, and other DOD agencies, their infrastructure from the Western half of the United States to India um, and uh, it, you know, the entire Pacific region. And we're an organization of about 10,000 engineers, planners, architects, um, you know, we, we do all cradle to grave life cycle management of the infrastructure required for, you know, runways and piers and hangars and other facilities, training facilities. And so, you're right, uh, engineers are typically very logical and methodical in their, in their thoughts. And, and that's very important. So you have to balance that with timely decisions. And just like when you think about, uh, I don't know, maybe one of your tests in school, you don't get a maximum amount of time, well, I guess you do, but at some point there's a suspense and you have to turn it in. Uh, you have to have quality, you have to do it in the resources you have to uh, available. You wanna do it safely uh, and ethically. And so all I often, often talk about are just those five things. I talk about the quintuple constraints. So it's, it's not that we have unlimited time uh, to, to make a decision we have, to, we have to ensure quality, but I talk about cost, time, quality, ethically, and safely. We want to execute our mission and make decisions within those five constraints. And so it is a balance. And so you have to think about, okay, what's the mission? What are you trying to solve? What's the problem you're trying to solve? Uh, what are your resources available? What are your constraints? And how do we best optimize so that we perform the plan, move with a sense of urgency, and meet our mission? If we turn in the answer, three days late, uh, that may not be uh, good enough. Definitely, right. So yeah, that's a very good response. I like that. Um, another question I wanna ask you, um, what are some of the uh, big projects that you have handled in the Navy? Any notable ones that, um, any sea stories? I would, I would like to hear them. All right, well, I will tell you uh, uh, one operational sea story. And then I'll tell you about some things that we're working on today uh, in the Navy in my area of, of expertise. First, um, in, in 2008, we were in the middle of uh, Operation, I think, Iraqi Freedom. Uh, and that operation was a, a uh, uh, we were eliminating radical extremism out of, of Iraq. Uh, and uh, then we shifted over to Afghanistan for Operation Enduring Freedom. And I, at the time, I was a, a commander and in charge of, in command of a Naval Mobile Construction Battalion. If you read your history, the you know, U.S. Navy Seabees started in World War II, and there were about 300,000 Seabees in World War II. Their motto is, with compassion for others, we build, we fight for peace with freedom. And so they're the Navy's uh, construction engineers and they're led by Navy Civil Engineer Corps officers. And I was in command of this unit in Ramadi, Iraq. And we received the orders to go to, to um, uh, Bastion, Afghanistan in the Helmand province, which was a very hot area uh, of fighting. 
and uh, to, to build a, a base. And so we went to, uh, we loaded about 50 C-17 cargo aircraft. Uh, and we also sent another big cargo ship full of about 300 tractor trailer trucks worth of equipment and material. And we went over there and we built this, this base. Uh, and when we arrived there, there was a little British outpost there and they said, okay, look over the Western uh, perimeter there and you can see where this, this base is going to be and you can build there. And so we arrived and we put up uh, concertina wire and we built uh, the, the perimeter uh, berms and things to protect ourselves from, from direct fire. And we started building this, this base and we put up a big sign uh, called FOB, Forward Operating Base Natasha. Now, you may know from your history, Natasha was the name of the bulldozer that John Wayne uh, had in the, in the movie, The Fighting Seabees. Right. All right. All right. And so we put up this sign, FOB Natasha. And then six months later, the Marines, you know, the Marines uh, motto is first to fight, among other things, Sem Semper Fidelis, always faithful. Um, and, and the Marines showed up about six months after the Seabees and said, hey, they were yelling at my boss and said, hey, you can't go around renaming forward operating bases. It's going to cause confusion on the battlefield. And, you know, we were like, hey, we were here. So, you know, we named it. You guys say you're first to fight uh, and you go outside the wire to fight. Oh, well, we put up the wire. In any case, that base, um, previously known as Fab Natasha, Ultimately, uh, the original and, and final name was Fob Leatherneck. And so, again, you may know from the history reading about the, the fight in Afghanistan, the Fob Leatherneck was a major operating base in the Helmand province to dr drive ISIS and others out of uh, Taliban, out of, out of Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. and, uh, uh, and so now you know the rest of the story, the original name of Fob Leatherneck was Fob Natasha, the, the name of the bulldozer in the Fighting Seabees. So that's one operational assignment uh, that uh, we did. We got to build Fob Nat uh, Leatherneck, uh, as well as all of the other infrastructure there during the Operation Enduring Freedom and Iraqi Freedom. That's one of probably several operational assignments that uh, I've had the pleasure and honor to serve uh, in, while in the Navy. Currently today, uh, just in the Pacific, we're building, uh, we're planning construction of a, a new dry dock for the next class of, of uh, submarines, a $2 billion project. We have, we're, we just commissioned our first Marine Corps base in Guam, moving, relocating Marines from Okinawa to Guam. And, and that was commissioned a couple months ago, Camp Blas. That's about a $4 billion effort. Um, and we have several others going on. We just built an advanced training base for the SEALs in, in, uh, called the Coastal Campus, uh, just south of San Diego. Uh, but these are just some of the major things on the East Coast. We're doing a, uh, the, the facilities for the next uh, class of, of submarines, the Columbia class submarines and all the infrastructure associated with that. Uh, and most recently, uh, in China Lake, uh, California, a place called Ridgecrest, California, at the Naval Air uh, Weapons Center, we had a large earthquake last year, uh, which caused about $3 billion worth of damage to our laboratories where we develop our, our aviation or missile systems. 
And so we're, we're uh, revitalizing, re rehabilitating and, and building the, the facilities that were damaged by this uh, major earthquake in, in California. So those are some of the current things we're working on. Uh, never a dull moment, Chief Bay. It is uh, one thing right after another. And uh, that's one of the reasons why I love my job so much is, is the Navy has always given me challenging assignments and continued to, to um, uh, give me these opportunities. And, and now right in the middle of the, 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 the fight, a great power competition in the Pacific, it continues. That's why I continue to serve. I love serving my country. And uh, the Navy continues to, to uh, give me these challenges, which, uh, and, and you look at how many people in the world love their job, it's a very small percentage, I think maybe about 10 or 15%. And so for me, the opportunity, you know, I could probably financially do something more uh, financially beneficial to me personally, but the people I work with, the Navy Corps values, the opportunities, and just the honor to wear the cloth of the nation is, is most important to me. Definitely, yeah, that means a lot. Um, you can never run out of things to do in the Navy for sure. Um, you mentioned about CBs quite a bit um, while you were talking about those stories. So I know CBs are kind of like the underdogs, at least to my personal knowledge. Not a lot of people know about them compared to like the SEALs or the special operations. So why are they so important to the Navy? And how do they, um, why are the engineers in particular so important in those constructions? Well, in history, uh, I would just tell you, there's never been, I mean, we, and we still are uh, and want to remain the greatest Navy the world has ever seen. In history, in every conflict, there's never been a conflict that's ever been won without engineers. Uh, and so you think of the Navy as at sea, uh, but, you know, I mentioned World War II and every conflict since then. Uh, engineers have built those the, that infrastructure. And I don't know if so much we're underdogs uh, as as much as we're in in short supply and high demand, and, and people love CBs because they're they're self sufficient, uh, they're they're hardworking, they're innovative, they're creative, uh, and they don't really need much support. Um, and so we could we can build what we need to sustain ourselves. We can move. We can communicate. We have technical skills, and we know how to fight if, if, if needed. And, and so that's why we're so valuable. When you think of naval concepts such as distributed maritime operations and expeditionary advanced bases and how you would win a fight in the Pacific, uh, then you definitely need engineers and Seabees to, to, to build that infrastructure to, to ensure there's places where you could repair ships and aircraft, uh, refuel, rearm. Uh, and do all the things you need to, to sustain a conflict. By the way, uh, you mentioned the SEALs. There is not probably one SEAL outfit that doesn't have CBs uh, assigned to it to, to help them with their infrastructure needs, uh, even if expeditionary and rudimentary. Uh, I've had the pleasure of working with the SEALs and other special forces throughout my career, uh, and it's a great, great match. That's excellent. So with so many things to do in the Navy, um, it's, it's certainly clear that you're a very busy person. So I want to ask you real quick, like, what do you do in free time if you have some time at all? Oh, yeah, so, uh, it, I, it, balance is important. You get one time in life, Chief Bay, to, to go around. Uh, and so you, 
time is very precious. When I when I look back at, at my career, I never joined the military to to make it a career. I I uh, you know wanted to serve. I needed some experience, uh, and the military is a great place to start. Again, either officer or enlisted, it gives you a great foundation. And just what happened to me is one thing led to another, and I just continued to serve and I continued to get opportunities and it was good for me good for the family uh and i just have stuck with it it's it is very challenging it can be very stressful but like any job you have to to find balance in your life uh and to make make it worthwhile because otherwise you, you kind of get burned out and we don't need that um and so when i in my free time what i like to do is uh, fly fish I, I took up fly fishing several years ago and ultimately uh, got into the teaching aspect of fly fishing. Fortunately, the military, as they move you around the world, you get to uh, associate with different clubs, fly fishing clubs and different species and different techniques. Ultimately, I'm one of about 200 master casting instructors through Fly Fishers International. Uh, and so I've been able to pass on my skills to Boy Scouts and and others that are interested in learning fly fishing. Most recently, uh, since I'm coming up on the end of my career, I, I said, well, gee, I, I need something else to do in my life long-term. And so I, I've started golfing. And so again, this has been a, a learning journey, uh, which I started in February. And, and uh, wow, it's it probably a, another lifetime journey to learn how to play golf. But uh, in any case, those are two of my off-duty off uh, um, uh, passions. And ultimately, my, my son uh, became a Naval officer four years ago. He's currently in the Navy Supply Corps. And so uh, we're empty nesters now. And, uh, you know, what time I, I have left, um, I spend with my wife uh, of nearly 30 years and uh, my two other hobbies, which are uh, fly fishing and golf. That's excellent. Yeah, golf is something that I definitely want to do when I get older. Um, yeah. No, 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 no. Time out, Chief A. Start now when you're 18. Don't start when you're 53. It's a lot easier that way. You get to enjoy it a lot better for a lot longer period of time. All so right. I know you have a million things on your plate, but uh, you know, start some of these things early in life. I'll definitely do that. Thank you. All right. So as we're beginning to wrap things up, I just want to ask a final question. So what is one guidance you have for um, cadets and listeners like myself um, wanting to pursue a career in the military with a STEM degree, specifically in engineering? What would you say to them like myself? Well, I would say uh, just by uh, considering joining the military, you're off to a great start. Uh, and I would recommend that uh, uh, you think critically and deliberately about that decision. Uh, and the opportunities that will present to you from a, a foundational aspect, whether or not you do one assignment uh, in the military or a follow-on career. And decide what, what, what your passion is. I know it's hard to do that at a young age. I certainly didn't know. Uh, you know perhaps you're more hands-on working with, with the tools and, and, and the technical aspects of things, and, and you, you want to go and, and you're not ready for, for a, a follow-on schooling after um, you know, college after high school and so perhaps you go the enlisted route or perhaps you, you have a desire to be uh, more in the design aspects of things and, and 
uh, you know, uh, maybe apply to mathematics or science and engineering and be more in a, a, uh, uh, a leadership role. And so you, you go the college route. Um, either way, I think it's a, a great place to start. I would tell you that hard work never goes out of style. Uh, good uh, moral integrity and, and what the Navy calls core values ha have led me uh, as a, a base for my entire career. So uh, that's important. Um, and so hard work and, and having a passion about what you do. And then, uh, like I said earlier, never stop learning. And the last thing I would tell you, uh, and this may apply to you or, or, or maybe some of your buddies, uh, and that is, uh, don't ever let anyone tell you you can't do something. I didn't have a great grade point average coming out of high school. It was decent. It wasn't amazing. Uh, I wasn't a great student in college. Um, it was, I was good, not great. And perhaps if I had applied myself in both situations a little more, I would have done better. Uh, but the, the, the lesson learned that I would share with you is, um, never let anyone tell you you can't do something. You can do anything you want. Uh, it's just a matter of, of putting your heart and soul into it. And I'll leave you with one of my favorite stories uh, that you're welcome to share with, with anyone. And, and this is what I would tell to uh, anyone that wants to succeed in anything. And that is, there was this, this person who wanted to be a, an Olympic athlete. And he knew of this world-renowned coach, and he asked this coach, he said, hey, I want to be on, uh, make the Olympics, um, and would you be my trainer? And, and the coach said, well, um, I don't know, is this something that you really want to do? If it is, then meet me on the beach tomorrow morning, and we'll get started. He goes, yes, that's my passion. That's what I want to do. So he meets him out there in the morning, uh, and he says, okay, he, you know, he has some training aids with him, this, this athlete. He said, well, just set those, the coach says, just set those down right there. Uh, we're going to, uh, we're going to do some exercises. So, oh, yeah, okay, running, running on the beach. This is great, great, a great workout. And he said, well, no, let's, let's walk out a little further into the surf. Um, and, and he said, oh, okay, that's even better. Uh, you know, running in the surf, that'll really, uh, you know, give us a, a great workout and help me get started. And so they keep walking out. And he said, oh, we're going to swim. Uh, and he said, oh, that's a full body workout. You know, we're going to start with swimming. So, no. so he goes out just about where the water is right at the, at the uh, uh, athlete's nose. And the coach takes the guy and he grabs him and he holds him under the water. And, and uh, you know, the guy's struggling. And finally, just at the last second where he's about to inhale water, because uh, he's out of air, he pulls him up and says, if you want to make the Olympics, you want, you, you need to want it like it's your next breath of air. And so that's what I would tell you. If you want to be a successful sailor or naval officer, citizen, husband, father, whatever it is you want to do in life, Chief Bay, want it like it's your next breath of air and you won't have to worry about whether it's going to happen or not. All right, thank you for those notes at the end. Thank you so much, it means a lot. Um, on behalf of the US Naval Sea Cadet Corps, thank you so much, Admiral Adamitz, for joining us on the Crow's Nest podcast.
you have any final thoughts, this is the time. Thank you so much again. All right. Thank you, Chipe. Good luck to you. All right. Thank you so much. Again, uh, I hope you enjoyed it. A great, another great conversation uh, between uh, Navy personnel, uh, Navy leaders, officers, and our uh, cadets. What's so interesting, real quick, that I have to say is that when we lead up to these interviews, um, you know, understandably, uh, the cadets we speak to are a little bit nervous, a little bit reluctant, uh, and 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 what we've learned, at least, um, is everyone's just so casual, <laughs> just having a conversation, just having a chat. And sometimes it's hard uh, to sort of get that across that, uh, you know, we have rear admirals and, and, and other high-ranking high officers here, but uh, fundamentally they are just people and they like talking about what they do and sharing their experiences, hoping that it's going to uh, pay it forward to uh, other generations who might be considering the Navy, Coast Guard, and other services uh, as a career as a profession. And so I think it's really great that uh, folks like Rear Admiral Adamets, can I say folks? I think so, are willing to share uh, their experiences, especially with fleet engineering, with CBs, uh, subjects that, uh, you know, we really need to consider talking more about because they are so essential. Um, didn't didn't sense any nerves from Chief Bay, so that was a, a great interview, fantastic questions. And so once again, I want to thank everyone for listening. Thank you for joining us at the Crow's Nest. And I will leave you once again with a little bit of VMI Spirit. I can learn. Oh, red, white, and yellow will triumph again. The cadets will fight them and never say die. That's the spirit of the Empire.